Hello and welcome to the budget special edition of the New Model Advisor podcast. I'm Jack Gilbert, Chief Reporter at New Model Advisor. Today we're going to be chatting all things budget related and in the studio we have Greg McClymont from Aberdeen Standard Investments. Uh, later we'll have Vince Smith-Hughes from Prudential to chat about what this means for advisors uh, and we'll also be looking back at some of the pre-budget predictions and seeing if any of them actually came true. So first up, it's my pleasure to be joined by, by Greg, um, himself a former uh, Labour Shadow Pensions Minister, so someone who's, who's certainly not new to, to these events. Um, and, and Greg, I mean, what, what did you think? Was this the most boring budget you can remember? Well, the Chancellor has a reputation for being a, a sober type, and he was clearly under some pressure from different um, parts of his party, and I think overall he injected a bit of humour into the into the statement and that was quite successful. And he seems to have avoided any obvious landmines in terms of complex or unpopular proposals which uh, you know blow up in the government's face. But of course the, the fundamentals which he's pushing back against are, are very profound. A productivity crisis a living standards crisis and really a fiscal situation which according to the OBR is going to deteriorate rather than improve and overlaying all of that Brexit and the headwinds which might or might not um, emerge from that process. So I think given the challenges that the Chancellor faced, to get through the budget unscathed is an achievement in itself. Oh, definitely. And I mean, just in terms of uh, pensions, we obviously didn't have very, we had very, very little at all. I mean, what were there any kind of takeaways that you would pick out as being? Well, we shouldn't complain about that because, of course, uh, uh, those of us in the in the pensions world are always complaining about the the relentless tinkering. So the absence of, of pensions related material, I think, is a is a good thing. Um, I think that probably reflects more the, the 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 constraints on the chancellor than anything else. Um, we often talk about further significant reforms to pensions tax relief, and I do think personally that that is inevitable at some stage in the not too distant future. But the, the, the distributional implications of that, i.e. the winners and losers from significant reform of pensions tax relief, are such that for any Conservative Chancellor that's very challenging, because if it involves a reduction in higher rate relief, which is almost certainly the case, then clearly a number of those individuals affected will be seen by Conservative MPs as, as their sort of core voters. Uh, so I think the politics constrained Hammond in the same way the politics constrained George Osborne in the budget just before the Brexit referendum, when actually the politics of the Conservative Party pre-referendum were febrile between Remainers and, and Brexiteers, and they're probably even more febrile now. So I think the, the broader polit political context is played to the favour of pension stability, and that's a good thing. So the Tory, the Tory backbenchers are the ones kind of, you know, blocking any, any big, big shake-ups of the tax relief for the, for well, the future? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it got so far this time where there, where there, there were conversations between uh, different parts of the Conservative Party, but from reading the Financial Times uh, yesterday in Joe Cumbo, the pensions correspondent, Apparently, uh, a reduction in the, the lifetime allowance was on the table and a reduction in the annual allowance. Um, 
that they would be unpopular with particular segments of voters um, who often compose a Conservative base. So you could understand the Chancellor giving the, a, his relatively weak position, not wanting to, to go there. But they will come back to tax relief one government or another of whichever stripe simply because of the, the cost of pensions. It's the single biggest item of government expenditure in every year. When you add up state pension spend, public sector pension spend and tax relief, it's bigger than the NHS in terms of the, the amount of expenditure. And that's likely to increase with auto enrolment coming through next year? Not just auto enrolment, Jack. I mean, that's right, auto enrolment. Um, a, a little bit, but it's over time, auto enrolment is impact because it will create a, a, a new class of, of pension tax relief um, beneficiaries. But more broadly, the, the demographic context of a society where people are living longer and we have fewer younger workers entering the labour market. The dependency ratio, which is the ratio of those in retirement to those in work, which really um, explains how sustainable your, your pay-as-you-go state pension system is, that, that ratio is only going to deteriorate. So it's the biggest ticket item and it's only going to grow, which means the Treasury, whose job it is to control public expenditure, are, are going to be on a continuous basis looking at ways to control that increase in expenditure. Oh, definitely. Um, but I mean, oh, yeah, although we didn't have much pension tinkering at all, we did have a, a budget that was very heavily focused on, on property, um, particularly trying to get the millennials and the younger generations on the property ladder. Uh, we saw the cut to stamp duty, uh, which is going to be quite significant or potentially quite significant. Um, I mean, do you think this kind of focus on, um, on property is, is telling at all uh, with regards to the government's um, thinking about long-term saving? I think it's it's important in a couple of respects. So the first respect is that the property wealth owned by millennials is tiny, and not just tiny compared to the wealth held by 50-something, 60-something, 70-somethings. It's also tiny compared to 30-year-olds of the previous generation, and we know the reasons for that essentially enormous rise in in property values and uh, living standards been in decline, really stagnating for a for a decade. And the last general election saw a real upsurge in turnout from young people, highest turnout for 50, 60 years by, by millennials. And governments respond to political pressure and therefore governments has tried to do something to meet that um, demand to be treated, you know, from the millennials' point of view, fairly. But the UK housing market is is very hard to move um, because of just structural um, reasons, whether it's actually the, the, the massive growth in property values, land values, or it's that there simply aren't enough houses. There's a bit of debate about that. Um, the overall uh, property package looks, if it, if it pays off, because lots of it is in, is in sort of tax breaks and et cetera, that it could make a bit of a dent. Um, more widely, it's a good thing to own property. So I think from a, a retirement point of view, owning property alongside other forms of long-term savings, particularly pensions, makes sense. Diversification is very important. Um, so you'd imagine government would want to encourage that. I would also put into the mix, Jack, the, the one time that pensions was mentioned in the, in the document involves uh, an attempt by government to encourage pension funds 
to allocate um, capital to long-term innovative companies, small innovative growing companies, um, as a part of the patient capital review the Treasury had undertaken. Uh, I think that's quite interesting because you get into some of the, the obstacles which the government faces in trying to get pension funds to do its bidding. So the government talks about asking the pensions regulator to clarify the guidance on these sort of investments. But the challenge is that pension funds, we know DB funds, are a lot of them are trying to move to a position where they can be, buy out their liabilities. So taking more risk uh, isn't on the agenda. Yeah. And defined contribution, which is where the, 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 the Treasury is keen, defined contribution funds... Um, the vast majority of people, 90% or so, are in the default fund. So if you give an option inside the defined contribution fund for individual savers to allocate to these sort of um, these sort of investments, the actual amount of money potentially available is more limited than one might imagine. Yeah. I mean, do you think it was, I think in the, in the report, one of the things they suggested actually was um, extending the, the lifetime allowance or, um, or removing the tapered annual allowance for um, DC savers who did take up the, the, these patient capital investments. I mean, do you think that's a, that could be a good initiative? Well, the taper is, is extremely complicated, would be the polite way to put it. So anything that can be done to simplify, simplify um, that aspect of the pensions tax relief um, system would make absolute sense. And it would fit in with the, the attempt to encourage further investment via EIS, um, investments, you know, raising the, the, the amount in the budget that can be invested with tax relief um, in those schemes. And just coming back to that kind of property point, Greg, so do you think this focus on um, on helping the young getting, getting onto the property ladder suggests the government thinks that property is a good way for to get people to have adequate savings for retirement? I would be surprised if they're thinking about it in such a long-term we, you think this is just them <coughs> this out and then worry about pensions later? I think it's. I think the the the, the, the intergenerational challenges, basically because of defined benefit pensions and rising property values. Um, if you're someone in your sixties, on average, your net wealth, leave aside income for a moment, uh, is is far 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 higher than than a millennial. So, so I think property is the, is the most you know, the, the, the most obvious one, people like to own property, understandably, because it, it gives you autonomy and freedom. It's a good thing. And the government's trying desperately now to find a way to, to make that possible for younger generations, the majority of whom are just renting, and on the projections will continue to, to rent. Um, so I think it's more about that than about uh, retirement savings. I think there was some belief that the Chancellor would mention auto-enrolment yesterday, um, a kind of nod to the current review that's going on. That um, didn't happen. Yeah, I think it's sometimes in the pensions world we overestimate just how much importance politicians attach to pensions. It's gone up the political agenda, especially since a uh, previous chancellor uh, made it a big issue to use the, the political jargon. They talk about weaponizing an issue, which is a very ugly term, <laughs> but basically raising it up in the political consciousness and using it to you know, to, to win arguments. So Osborne did that with pensions freedoms. But generally speaking, pensions is, an, is a significant issue, but it's not a first order issue in politics.
It's not a political football that's getting pushed <coughs> past between Labour and the Tories at the moment. The, the big issues always when the polling is done are the economy, jobs, the NHS. Um, immigration, maybe. Immigration, absolutely. They're, they're the, and related immigration welfare issues of um, the idea that people are getting benefits that shouldn't get them which is exaggerated, but in the public consciousness, it's big. They are, they, are, they are the first order issues. Pensions is a second order issue. I wouldn't be that surprised that it, it wasn't mentioned. Um, great, great. Just finally, Greg, I mean, so, yeah, the reaction so far, obviously it's early days because it's only been 18 hours since the, the announcements, but we haven't seen a huge amount of blowback from, from the press and from, from the opposition, really, and from Tory backbenchers, perhaps most significantly. Uh, do you think that Hammond's done enough now to kind of cement his position and <coughs> cement the Tories' position for the next kind of period? I, I don't have any particular insight into the, you know, the dynamics inside the Conservative Party. But what I would say is that um, Hammond delivered, his delivery was, I think, um, quite impressive. It surprised on the upside to use, a, an inv to use investment uh, vocabulary but fundamentally Jack all this is dwarfed by on the one side the productivity challenge I mean the, the revised OBR view on UK productivity um, is even gloomier logistics we'll have a real challenge in increasing our output um, for the same amount of resources expended and Brexit um, you know giving three billion uh, for the Brexit transition Obviously, played to parts of the of the the audience that Hammond has to keep um, cordial relations with, because he's clearly seen as being, um, you know, more sceptical about some of the grand claims made for 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 Brexit. Um, but those challenges, whether it's the productivity challenge, the living standards challenge, the housing challenge, although he's tried to do a, something about that, and Brexit on top. The budget, I think, in the in when we look back on it, won't appear a particularly significant moment. There's much bigger fish to fry. You know that will there be an agreement in December on the, the first stage of the Brexit talks? That's much more <coughs> important, um, I think, than the budget. And more widely, I say, how do we <laughs> how do we deal with the productivity um, deficit? Our productivity is just. Um, just very very poor compared to most countries and we don't thing is we don't know why that's the that's that that's it's the productivity puzzle so i would say hats off to the chancellor for um you know delivering a, a sensible what appears to be a sensible budget no pensions tinkering no pensions tinkering um managed to keep on side those from his own perspective that he needs to keep on side but in the scheme of things there's only so many things that, that one can do um, in a budget when there are such big challenges on the horizon. Greg, thank you so much. That was brilliant. Thank you. Now, we've just had the, the budget. The papers have all come out. Um, and with me in the studio, we've got uh, Vince Smith-Hughes from Prudential. Vince, good to have you here. Hi, Jack. It's good to be here. And so, Vince, uh, not the most exciting budget in the, in the world, was it? it? It wasn't the most exciting, but actually I take that as a real positive. 
Um, Prudential did some research uh, a month or two ago just looking at what advisors really wanted and over half of them were calling for no change on pensions and taxation and I think pretty much that's what we got so I take that as good news. A bit of a letdown there, well in terms of not, not many new announcements but I mean there must have been something that advisors, that's going to affect advisors um, from it then, what, what would you say was the most important well, thing? Well I think, I think there's a few things, first of all uh, the government are obviously still looking at the simplification of trusts. Um, and we'll see how that develops, but one thing I'd say from that is that uh, it's a good idea to make use of the current trust planning opportunities that are there because it's quite clear there may be some changes in the future. So uh, I think that's one thing. Uh, we've seen the doubling of the EIS uh, investment allowance in some cases, uh, which might be useful for uh, some advisors' clients, although I, I would just say just be careful on that one. You know, Don't let the, the tax tower wag the investment dog. You know, Sometimes these are quite high-risk investments and advisors uh, do need to take that into account when they're, they're looking at uh, what uh, is right for the client. Do we know much detail on this. I haven't seen a huge amount of uh, detail on it yet and there was some promise some further information uh, on the way when the, the Chancellor talked about it. I mean EESs are a, a specialist investment and really only suitable for you know clients who are prepared to take a, a fair degree of risk. Um, now that might be for those clients who've you know used their ISA and, and pension allowance perhaps but um, clearly with the restrictions on pensions we've seen over the last few years you know that may be more, bringing more people into the scope of it. Good stuff. Um, and we do have a, a very small lifetime allowance increase. Uh, this is good news, right, Vince? Yeah, good news. Um, you know, that, that little increase that we saw will mean that, you know, there's less people paying a lifetime allowance charge or people paying a lower lifetime allowance charge. But I think there's an interesting point here, which is that clearly we've seen over the, the course of the last 18 months or so, lots of defined benefit transfers being done. And there's a whole host of reasons for that we've talked about previously, Jack. Um, but a lot of those transfers are coming across with values close to or over the lifetime allowance. Um, and although we have seen this slight increase, I would just say to advisors, be very careful about that when you're giving DB transfer advice. It's definitely something you've got to look at uh, in the decision as to whether to transfer or not. The, the only other point I would mention, and again, nothing to, to, to do with this budget in particular, but just watch those people who are subject to the tapered annual allowance. My sense is from talking to advisors, they've managed to actually maintain their contributions over the last year or two uh, because they've been using their carry forward allowances. Well, those carry forward allowances may now be starting to run out, in which case if you don't change the contribution, Contributions, particularly for those who are set up to pay on a regular basis, you might start running into annual allowance charges and that could mean unexpected tax bills for the client. Uh, and finally, uh, I'm joined by Natasha Turner, Features Editor at New Modern Advisor, to hear about the budget predictions ahead of yesterday's announcements. Yes, hi Jack. We are uh, out of the madness now, it's the day after. We've had our pizza, so that's nice. So. Uh, yeah, just looking back on how yesterday went, uh, we we were live tweeting it and a lot of other people were tweeting along and a lot of the reactions were quite amusing. Um, we didn't do any budget predictions this year in the magazine. Why was that? Well, basically, it seems like we always get them wrong and a lot of other people seem to as well. So Steve Webb was predicting a cut to the annual allowance and that didn't happen and I believe there were some quite amusing responses to that on Twitter. Um, did you find anything, Jack? Uh, yeah, there was, there was some interesting responses. Um, well, I think maybe that we should maybe say that this happens quite regularly, that people predict cuts yeah. normally to tax relief before yeah. the, before the uh, budget. Um, and so there were there are some amusing responses. Alistair Cunningham uh, at Wingate said, the thing is, referring to Steve Webb's tweet, the thing is, while a, a stopwatch is right twice a day, a stopwatch doesn't cause as much nervousness over long-term savings 
policy as Sir Steve does. <laughs> he also said, he must have been on a roll yesterday, he also said of Steve Webb, the only thing reliable about Steve Webb's predictions is their unreliability. <laughs> so there we go. Poor Steve. Uh, who else got some predictions wrong that got uh, on Twitter? Well, a few people did. Um, I think uh, T Tom McPhail was mm -hmm. um, predicting a, a change to the uh, 20 to 1 ratio um, for the lifetime allowance for DB uh, members, um, which again didn't come to fruition. Um, any other reactions you picked up on? Um, there were some general ones. Uh, David Penny had had some amusing ones. He also did tweet a, a gif of Alan Partridge. We like that here at New Model Advisor. We, like, we do Alan like an Alan Partridge gif. So that went down well with us. Um, a more general one about the gags, because we've, we've got to mention the gags. Right? They were pretty good, right? They were, they were pretty good. There was a few. The cough suite, obviously, had to happen. Um, someone did tweet, was the budget like a best man speech? So, mm, kind of. There were some pretty bad jokes, weren't there? I there were some quite best man-y jokes in there. Yeah. It also seemed very much to me like Hammond had watched his Zeitgeist tape this year because there was the Top Gear, I'm a Celeb and Blue Planet. So that's good. He's obviously, he's down with the kids. He's given us a rail card. He's watched the shows. He's a real person. Yeah, he's... there we go. So uh, I think that was the best of Twitter, really.